0: Hello, welcome to the September 2023 episode of Chattering with ISFM. I'm Natalie Dalgray, Head of ISFM and host of this month's podcast. First up this month, Dr. Yeza Gomez-Majias speaks with Dr. Jenny Brown on her ISFM 2023 Delegates Choice Award-winning abstract, perioperative anaesthetic complications and healthy cats undergoing anaesthesia for neutering in first opinion practice. We're also featuring our monthly JFMS Clinical Spotlight interview. This month, Dr. Kelly St-Denis discusses inhalational therapy for feline inflammatory airway disease with Dr. Michael Bacello. We hope you enjoy this episode. At the ISFM Congress in Dublin, Jenny presented the results of her study on perioperative anesthetic complications in healthy cats undergoing anesthesia for neutering we neuter cats on a daily basis. Would you mind summarizing the main results of your study for the vets who are listening to this podcast?
1: Yeah, sure. So we looked at, it was a retrospective chart analysis. So we looked at anesthetic charts from just over a thousand cats and looked at a few different things. So the first thing we looked at obviously was that was the mortality rate. And sadly, we did have one cat in the study who did die. It wasn't really a big enough numbers in the study to really come to conclusions about that, but it was consistent with previous studies in similar populations. Next sort of thing, we looked at the most common complications that have been identified in these cats. And our top three were hypotension, so low blood pressure, bradycardia, so low heart rate, and hypothermia, so cold temperature. And we made the definitions by doing like a literature review first, so we knew what we were looking for. And then our final bit was looking at any factors that were associated with an increased incidence of these complications. And so really the most stunning one was that a longer anaesthetic duration was associated with increased likelihood of all three of our top complications. And we had a few other things. So the drugs the animals received, because it was a retrospective study, they'd just received whatever the vets and nurse had chosen to give them. So hypotension was associated with an acepromazine premed. Whereas bradycardia was associated with a metatomidine, which is probably unsurprising for people who know how the drugs work. So there were some interesting sort of drug effects as well.
0: As an advanced practitioner in anesthesia, would you like to share any recommendations or tips regarding the use of isoflurane and medatomidin?
1: So I think in terms of isoflurane, that definitely was potentially linked with an increased risk of hypothermia if they had a higher maximum percentage of isoflurane. So across quite a lot of the complications we were seeing that the higher your isoflurane, the more likely you were to see these complications. So I think it is important to think about how we can minimize the isoflurane dose. So using multimodal analgesia, making sure that when we do see these things like low blood pressures, we're turning the vaporizer down and looking at other ways to provide analgesia for them. Menatomidine, other than being associated with bradycardia, didn't seem to be a risk factor for any of the complications. And I think when we look at bradycardia, we looked at the literature definition, it probably wasn't in a population of cats who were receiving alpha twos because quite a lot of literature is when we were back when we were using ace chromazine. So I would say don't be worried about using it.
0: Thank you. Dad. I think that's going to be very helpful for many people. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. And now over to Dr. Kelly St. Denis. She's speaking with Dr. Michael Bacello about his JFMS clinical spotlight article. Breathe easy a review of inhalational medications for feline inflammatory airway disease. Don't forget, JFMS is an open access journal now, and the link to read the full article is in the show notes.
2: What's the difference between asthma and chronic bronchitis, and what's so important about knowing why it's different?
3: I think there's a couple of reasons. I think practically probably the most important thing is that they don't tend to have airway collapse, which is one of the hallmarks of cats with asthma, so they should be treated differently because they don't have airway collapse. I think that's probably the most practical difference. The other thing I think that's a little bit tangential but I think is important is that if we diagnose a patient with asthma, one of the hallmarks of asthma is that they have eosinophilic airway disease, and if we can prove that, then we know that there are other things that cause eosinophilia, like heartworms, lungworms, even just knowing that it's eosinophilic versus neutrophilic, which is typical of bronchitis patients, then we still can further pursue additional diagnostics to make sure the patient truly has asthma and not heartworm disease, for example.
2: Yeah. Thinking about steroids, probably a lot of cats we were talking about earlier end up on oral steroids. And of course, that delivers steroids to the entire system, whereas we have the option to deliver steroids directly to the lungs, which is probably more ideal. But there is a lot of pushback. It can be really difficult to get caregivers interested in this. I think it can be quite extensive in time, but certainly worth the while. And as you say, if people are clicker training or working with their cats at home, that's just something you could start working towards should they ever need it. What's your sense of how long it would take to train a cat if you were just cold turkey just starting to train them?
3: Yeah, so my conversations with owner is typically about a month. My conversations with caregivers tends to be somewhere in the range of it's gonna take time, let's try prednisolone for a month and and then slowly transition over that because I think the worst thing to do is to accelerate or try to accelerate it and force a cat to, to do inhalation when it doesn't want it and then you've totally broken the trust. I typically give them a couple weeks to a month for that slow progression.
2: Yeah, and it seems like it's it just takes patience. In the article, it says inhaled glucocorticoids are not immediate acting, so it's recommended to overlap treatment with oral glucocorticoids anyway. So as you say, that kind of gives them time. We're talking about inhalational therapy, and one thing that I'm not very familiar with is nebulizers. So I don't know if it's because they're not as readily accessible or well-promoted or just that we get what we need for asthma out of the Inhalational therapy through the inhalers and masks. Did you want to tell us a little bit about nebulizers and what kinds are available and what role they would have for us in practice?
3: Yeah. So there are a couple different kinds of nebulizers, and they all have, just like everything, I guess, pros and cons. Probably the most common one that would be used for vet med would be the jet nebulizers. They tend to be the cheapest nebulizers. Um, But what nebulizers do is they basically aerosolize whatever medication you're you doing versus something like a puffer, like you you described, it's already aerosolized and you're just delivering it. So a nebulizer changes the composition of whatever you're giving. So jet nebulizers can be used. They tend to be a little bit loud, which obviously has its downsides, but they tend to be relatively cheap. And so contrast that with something like mesh nebulizers, which aerosolize things through a mesh and those tend to be more expensive, but are much more quieter. And yeah. there are studies looking at different types of nebulizers, and there's also like a piezoelectric, oh, really? which is in, in the middle, if you will. There are no studies really comparing the efficacy of these things in cats, and there's a surprisingly little amount of information comparing the efficacy of them in humans. Different Nebulizers can or can't be used with certain medications just because of the way they nebulize things, so right. if you do decide to get a nebulizer, you have to make sure that whatever drug you're nebulizing can be used with that type of nebulizer. I think that nebulizers could represent a really good way to to aerosolize medications, and one of the things that I think potentially could be in the future is trying to nebulize molecules that are even smaller to try and get down to the lower airways. Because if you think about it, their airways are already so small. Most of what is available, there are obviously some veterinary products, but not uncommonly people will buy human nebulizers, which will aerosolize the medications for human airways. I think that there are going to be some smaller molecules that, that will be available but as far as I'm aware, they're not currently available for vet med. And the other big problem here is price. And so nebulizers, you have to buy the machine. It, it can be loud. It can be expensive, but I think nebulizers potentially can offer a very good way for us to get medications to our patients. But I think we're really just in the infancy of inhalational medicine to begin with. But I think that they're promising. I think that they're promising.
2: Yeah. I hadn't really given it any thought before. So I was reading the article. Wait yeah. a second. I've really thought about nebulizers before because we do focus so much with asthma and inhalational therapy with the yeah. chambers. So,
3: yeah, I I think the chambers are are relatively easy and they're relatively cheap compared to the nebulizers. Whether they're better or worse than nebulizers, I still think I think we need to figure that out.
2: Yeah, and it may be just like you said, what applications each has that may yeah. be different. So. At least for now, we're we're doing well with what we have.
0: If you are an ISFM member, don't forget you can listen to the full version of this podcast and all the other ISFM member benefits, including Congress recordings, monthly webinars, the Clinical Club, the Discussion Forum, and much, much more at portal.icatcare.org. If you're looking for more free CPD, we do have two open access webinars in October. From IDEX and Perina we have Diagnosing and Managing Feline Multiple Morbidities, Simple Answers for Complex Cases, and that's with Rebecca Matt gertag and Marge Chandler on the 3rd of October. From DECRA on the 10th of October, we have Uremic Toxins, Why We Should Be Concerned, and that's with Dr. Jessica Quimby. We'll be back again next month. If you don't want to miss out, do make sure you're signed up to Chattering with ISFM on your preferred podcast platform.